Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hello everyone, this episode of the podcast is sponsored by Audible. If you would like to download a free audiobook of your choice, just go to audibletrial.com forward slash teacher Luke. Now, let's get started with this new episode. Here we go. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello, welcome back to Luke's English Podcast. And this is episode number 295. And this will be the final part of this eight-part series, which is inspired by my trip to the West Coast of the United States recently. I'm going to talk about the final part of our journey from San Francisco down the coast to Monterey, Carmel, Big Sur, San Luis Obispo, and then back to Los Angeles. I'll also talk more about customer service and give you some tips on how to make complaints in English and how to talk to strangers in slightly sensitive situations. Like, for example, when, you, when you're sitting on a train or a plane and someone is behind you and they're talking really loudly and they've been talking for ages, how, what do you say to that person to make them shut up? Obviously, you don't, you don't tell them to shut up. That's definitely the wrong thing to say because that's extremely rude. Uh, so what do you say? How do you tell someone to be quiet because you can't sleep? Uh, well, I'll explain that in this episode. And uh, so that, that's a little overview of what you can expect to hear um, on this episode of the podcast. So um, I started this series about uh, the Californian road trip. I started this on the 26th of August, which is just under two weeks ago. So in less than two weeks, I've uploaded about eight episodes of this podcast. And each one, each one of those episodes, it's about one hour and 15 minutes long. Um so I do realise that that is a lot of content for you to listen to. And I think a lot of my listeners are probably at the moment quite busy catching up with all this new content. I certainly hope that this sudden arrival of eight new episodes hasn't put anyone off. Um, I know from experience that when I listen to a podcast and there are lots of episodes that I haven't heard, for example, you know, my favourite podcast and if if I, I, I fall behind and uh, there are lots of episodes that I haven't heard yet. Sometimes um, that uh, that can put me off. It makes it feel harder to get back into it, like I'm falling behind and it's difficult to catch up. So I expect that some listeners are a little bit overwhelmed by uh, all these new episodes that have just arrived. Not you, of course, not you. Um, the one who's, you know, you right now, you, that's you, yes. If you're listening to this, I expect it means that you're managing to keep up with the series without any problems because you're listening to this. If you are a new listener, then welcome to my podcast. It's for learners of English. That's the point. Uh, you can visit teacherluke.co.uk for more information. Anyway, I shouldn't be worrying about whether people are keeping up with the podcast or not because I have had lots of encouraging comments on episodes in this series. And so I'd like to just read out some of those comments now at the beginning of this episode and respond to them here. I'm not reading all of the comments that um, 
have arrived on uh, on these Californian episodes. Just a selection. So um, one piece of correspondence from a listener in the United States of America called Leah. Uh, this this came through on Facebook, and it's it's kind of worth mentioning. So Leah said. Uh, this. I've very much enjoyed hearing... You have to imagine this in an American accent, okay? I've very much enjoyed hearing all about your trip, but I need to tell you that nobody in the in the United States ever says galoshes, lol. Um, really, it's true. I do remember when I was in school, that's grade school and high school, in French class and in language textbooks, I would see this word. But we just say boots, sometimes more specific, like rain boots, snow boots, hiking boots, riding boots, but never galoshes. Did you hear someone in California use that term? Anywho, I love the podcast. Thank you. Um, And I replied to Leah saying, thank you for the correction. I feel like I should now edit the podcast to include what you said, and I might do it actually. And then Leah said, ha ha, well, just to check myself, I asked my 14-year-old son if he knew what galoshes were, and he said no, but he had heard the term used in a cartoon once. He further said that he got that, he got that they meant something like rain boots through the context. So the point is here is that Leah is a listener from the United States, and she um, just wanted to correct um a word that I'd mentioned, which was the word galoshes. So that was part of a British, English and American uh, American English quiz. The British English word is wellies or Wellington boots. Those are those rubber boots that you wear when it's raining. And, um, and I said that the American equivalent was galoshes. Well, apparently, according to Leah, that's not the case. And in fact, they say things like rain boots or just boots. Um, so there you go. I thought I'd mention that just because um, I thought it was important to make that correction. Um, so, I, and I just wanted to agree with Leah and emphasise that it's not galoshes in the UK, in the USA, but in fact it's rain boots. In the UK, as I said, it's wellies or Wellington boots. And I've just done a quick Google search for the words galoshes and the words rain boots. And this does support what Leah has just said, of course. Um, galoshes um, comes up with 454,000 results. That's for galoshes. Um, but a search for rain boots, and that's uh, rain boots in inverted commas, so it searches for the whole phrase, not just the individual words, Um, that returned um, 2,090,000 results. So clearly rain boots is used a lot more than galoshes. Um, So there you go. So there's a correction. Not galoshes, rain boots. Perhaps in the United States of America, wellies are less part of the, of the everyday culture. And so a well-known nickname hasn't really come up. But whatever the reason, it's rain boots rather than galoshes. Now, perhaps that's not so important. Maybe it's not that important that you know the correct term for rain boots in the U- USA. But who knows? Who knows? We never know what kind of situations you're going to find yourself in. Perhaps it could be useful that you use the word rain boots and not galoshes. Maybe in some emergency situation, like a flood or something, you might need to, to be correct. If you can imagine that. Quick, we need some wellies. What? I mean, we need some galoshes. This is America, right? We need some galoshes. Quick. Sorry, I, I, have, I have no idea what you're talking about. Are you British? I love your accent. No, no, this is, this is an emergency flood situation. We need galoshes. 
I'm sorry, that, that just means nothing to me. Still, have a nice day now. Alrighty then, sorry about all this rain. Uh, but I guess you must be used to it because you're British, right? No, no, you don't understand. We need rubber boots to protect us from the water. Right now, boots for the rain. Oh, you mean rain boots? Why didn't you say, for example? So you could avoid that whole kind of confusion in an emergency rain-based situation just by asking for rain boots, not galoshes. Okay, good. I'm glad we managed to clear that up. Um, here's a comment from Chris Benitez, and he says, I love craft beer. And California is the most famous place for breweries. I hope that you had lots of good Californian beers and American IPA. Well, Chris, yeah, I did. I I didn't. Um, I, there's no way I could taste them all because there's uh, there are loads and loads of different Californian breweries, and that's one of the things that surprised me that in California they have all these different types of local craft beers, particularly IPA. IPA is a form of uh, a beer. It it stands for Indian Pale Ale. It's actually an English uh, originally an English beer. So it's interesting to see all these different types of American IPA. I did drink and taste quite a lot of them, but there's no way I could have tasted them all because there's just too many. Uh, And Chris says, uh, I'm waiting for the Camaro photos. You know, I was driving a a Chevrolet Camaro. Um, He said, you get used to it, don't worry. I guess referring to the difficulty that I had when driving it sometimes. He said, I don't have one, but my Mustang is almost the same. Great episode. You've got a Mustang, Chris. Seriously, that's, I don't know if he's joking or if that's true. Could well be true. Uh, if you do have a Mustang, Chris, send a photo. Maybe he was joking. Uh, sometimes I can't tell if when people are joking or not. This is, this is my, my problem. Um, Antonio says said this. This is on the first episode. He said, wow, 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 wow. Hello, Luke. This is a very great work you're presenting to us. I thank you for this huge effort that you're doing to teach English to people all around the world. I would say a lot about your new podcasts, but even if I knew the adjectives you deserve, I can only say that je suis resté sans voix. Regard, uh, reading your four incredible podcasts, um, it, meaning he he's he's basically he rests without voice, which is like saying he's speechless regarding the four incredible podcasts. That's at the time I'd done four. Wow, thanks. I hope you're not just reading them. I hope you're listening to them too. I'm sure. I'm sure he is. Um, I'm waiting for the next podcast as impatient as people are waiting for the sixth book of Game of Thrones. Wow. And uh, I really only can say bravo and chapeau, chapeau, bam, monsieur, which means hats off or well done. Big hug, Luke. Well, thanks, Antonio. He said, P.S. Why don't you make a periscope each time you're doing your each? Why don't you make a periscope each time you're going to work on a podcast? Um, Yeah, well, I plan to do more periscopes, Antonio, but I can't do them every time just because well, it's just sort of like super complicated sometimes to hook up the Periscope and do the podcast at the same time. For example, I could have done one now. Could I? Sh- you know, I could be doing one now, but I'm not just because of uh, I've got a busy day lined up, and when I do a Periscope, it ends up taking a lot more time uh, than it does to record the podcast. So uh, I will do more though in the future, definitely, because it's a lot of fun. Um, so there you go. So Molly said, um, "Who's who?" consistent commenter always commenting and very enthusiastically and positively she said fantastic journey with so much to offer you give us amazing luxury through your account what a romantic way of teaching english welcome back keep it up a million thanks wow thanks molly that's really sweet of you to say that 
Um, such a such a nice comment. Uh, Petro Petrockel says, Dear Luke, thanks for two very interesting and cognitive episodes. I found out a lot of new stuff about the USA. Uh, Pakwan says, Hi Luke, this is just a trivial comment, but I want to tell you that I like your jellies wobbling around noise making. It's funny and cute. I guess um, this listener is talking about the sound that I make when I'm talking about jelly. I did it in a recent episode. Is it that noise? Something like that. Anyway, it's the sound of jelly. Um, uh, Rasul Sirov. Okay, he's talking about the lyrics to Hotel California by the Eagles, and he's got a point about pronunciation. So, Rasul says, The Eagles are single-handedly responsible for lots of people in my country mispronouncing the English word hotel as hotel i.e. with the stress on the first syllable instead of the second, which is funny given that we have the same word in our own languages, and that's Russian and Ukrainian. Well, the Russian one lacks the initial H, but uh, it's pretty much the same. And it is stressed on the second syllable in Russian or Ukrainian. But even, even that fact is overlooked as a clue for correct pronunciation against the popularity of the Eagles hit and its damaging influence on the unsuspecting English learner. Um, right, are you following this, listeners? He's talking about the fact that Hotel California um, seems to have uh, made lots of people pronounce the word hotel with the wrong uh, stress because uh, it should be hotel. And apparently in the song, they sing hotel. Welcome to the Hotel California, right? Hotel, but it should be hotel. So he he explains himself, Rasul does. He says, the musical meter or rhythmic structure employed in the chorus of Hotel California dictates that the word hotel is stressed on the first syllable, thus overriding the actual word stress. Indeed, they do seem to be singing Welcome to the Hotel California in the chorus. This, coupled with the general notion that English learners tend to have about most two-syllable English words being stressed on the first syllable, this gave rise to the infamous pronunciation error. Myself, I was lucky enough to hear Elvis's heartbreak hotel first before the eagles had led me astray with their confusing stress patterns Hmm, interesting i wonder how responsible hotel california is on people mispronouncing the word hotel because it should be hotel not hotel well but it wouldn't be the same in the song would it welcome to the hotel california welcome to the hotel california yeah see this is an example of poetic license in songs, in you know, and also in poems and things, sometimes uh, the normal rules, even the rules of grammar or the rules of uh, maybe pronunciation, might be broken in order to fit the the song. Um, so it's something worth bearing in mind. People often use songs as a way of um, improving their English, but be aware that sometimes they break rules in songs because they use poetic license. I think songs are a good way to to you know get some English, uh, but um, you you also have to balance it out with um, 
you know, listening to conversations and listening to English as it actually is spoken rather than sang because, you know, they break the rules in, in songs. Um, there, are, there are more comments. There are many, many more comments. Uh, I, I don't have time to go through them all now. Um, and some interesting things, but I can't go through them all because I've got to get on with this episode, okay? Uh, there are more comments that are available on, well, obviously underneath each episode page. Uh, I, I think I may leave some more comments on the page for this episode too. Anyway, let's carry on with this uh, story. So uh, last time I spoke to you, um, I was telling you about San Francisco. So at this point in the in the holiday, we were still, or we are still in San Francisco. Obviously not now. Now I'm in back home in France. But um, when I uh, at the end of the last episode, uh, we were in San Francisco. Okay, so we um, went for dinner in this place called Liho Liho which is an amazing Hawaiian-influenced place. So let me try and describe the food at Liho Liho. And I want to try and make it really vivid and mouth-watering, okay? So how hungry are you feeling? I hope that you're feeling pretty hungry because uh, I really want to bring it home how delicious the food was in this place. It was a sort of American-Hawaiian sort of uh, themed place. Um, but we'd never tasted food like this before. We had some kind of battered and fried chicken. So it was uh, chicken deep fried, but in a special sort of, I can't explain, I don't even know really what it was, but it was delicious. Deep fried and with fried broccoli and kale with cashew nuts. And the broccoli in particular was amazing. Apparently, they, they marinate it overnight and then they deep fry, deep fry it in a kind of soy sauce infused oil. And the result is an amazing sort of crunchiness combined with juiciness. So you bite into the broccoli and the sort of, um, you know, the, 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 the ends of the broccoli, the sort of alveoli looking ends of the broccoli were all crunchy. But then you continue to bite in and all the sort of uh, broccoli held this incredible juice, um, the sort of soy sauce marinade juice kind of thing which was infused inside the broccoli so although the broccoli was crunchy because it had been fried it also contained this amazing juice so you'd bite into it crunchy juice and then the sort of um the nice solidness of of the the main branches of the broccoli mm, incredible uh so we just made loads of noises during the dinner like mm, oh ooh, you know um we didn't really talk much we just made all these noises while we were eating we couldn't stop raving about the taste and of course, we ordered way too much because we underestimated the size of the portions because in the United States the portions are huge. And we ended up completely stuffed and we had to kind of, it was like difficult to walk home because we just consumed so much of this amazing food. Um, we noticed, in fact, there is quite a lot of Hawaiian influence in San Francisco. And it's amazing to think that just there across the ocean, you've got Hawaii. Uh, you know, if you look west from the coastline on uh, California, that you've got Hawaii out there. And then on the other side, if you keep going all the way across the Pacific Ocean, there's Japan. So it's cool to be on the Pacific coast. It, you know, me personally, I'm more used to being near the Atlantic coast. So being on the Pacific coast, it's just amazing to imagine that the Hawaii was just over there. And then if you kept going in a straight line, you'd get to Japan, China, Korea. Incredible, really. Um, so um, we extended our time in San Francisco because we loved it so much. So we spent an extra day there and we, you know, had more acai bowls and, and stuff like that. We went on a we went on a walk to find Lombard Street. Lombard Street is a famous street in San Francisco because it's um it's just like a fairly short street. It's on a hill, so it's very steep. 
And it's famous because the road is in a zigzag pattern. So the road zigzags all the way down. And there are loads of flowers there uh, by the side of the road and beautiful, pretty houses of different colours. And then this zigzag, this famous zigzagging road that goes down. Um, And it was really nice to go and see it, but it's a major tourist attraction. I mean, um, the place was just full of tourists. And this was like Monday morning, not even primetime sort of uh, tourist hour, but um, Monday morning, and the place was full of tourists. And what was funny about it is that a lot of tourists came in their cars, and they drove all the way across the city, just so they could drive down this one street, which takes them about one minute. And then they so they drive all the way across the city, drive down Lombard Street, and then drive away again, which seems pretty stupid, pretty weird. But, you know, it's just a tourist attraction. And it's it's nice to see, but it was a bit too touristy, really. And I, I thought it must be difficult for the people who live there having to put up with all these tourists driving down their street all the time. Um, we grabbed some more coffee in one of the many great-looking coffee places on a, on Polk Street. Uh, and at this point, I just would like to talk about... I'd like to make a couple of comments about some more annoyingly rude customer service, which happened a couple of times. I've already told you about the woman in CVS in Haight-Ashbury, who said, yeah, why not buy bottled water from the other side of the world? (laughs) Um, Which made me feel kind of bad, uh, but not for long. Um, But then in this coffee shop on Monday morning, we had a bit more sort of weird customer service. Now, generally speaking, the customer service we experienced in California was really amazing and very impressive. uh, and, And maybe we got used to it because when we had bad service, it seemed really obvious and annoying. And this was this kind of bad service was usually from young people doing jobs that they probably believed were below them, causing them to treat us with a kind of cool disdain, as if to say, yeah, I'm above this. You know, yeah, I don't, I don't really care about this job, so I don't really care about the customers because I'm just too cool for this job and I'm only doing it so I can pay my way through college. So screw you. That's the kind of feeling that I got from some people. For example, we had a bad experience in this coffee shop on Polk Street um, and uh, it, uh, we were served by two trendy girls who were just far too cool in their minds to be serving people coffee. Uh, so they served us coffee in a very snooty and sort of dismissive manner. And it sort of spoiled my morning a little bit because I can't stand unnecessary rudeness. It just really gets my back up and it bothers me a lot. I don't know why. Uh, I don't know why they were so rude, really. Perhaps it was my accent. Maybe that kind of... Because, like, as AJ Hogue was saying in a in a recent episode of this podcast, generally the Americans find the British accent to be charming and nice. Of course, that's not that's nice in it. Yeah, it is. Uh, but I can't help thinking that sometimes uh, there must be some people who hear my accent and think uh, that I sound a bit condescending or something. I don't know. Like having a received pronunciation accent, having this kind of voice, like many people would say that I'm quite well spoken. But I think some people might just assume that I think that I'm better than other people because I don't know. I don't, do you know what I mean? It's difficult to explain that. Um, um, yeah, it is a little bit difficult to explain that. But it, I, I wondered if sometimes people thought, oh, here you go, your majesty, here's your coffee. Um, I don't know, maybe I'm just being a bit paranoid. But anyway, um, maybe it was my accent. Maybe it was the fact that we were tourists. 
because, you know, sometimes the locals are a bit dismissive of tourists. Maybe it was because it was a Monday morning. Maybe the cafe management treats these girls so badly that they just put in zero effort. Maybe it's the slightly specific coffee request that I made. Or maybe it's just because I didn't order the coffee just right or something. And maybe I'm making a big deal out of it, which I probably am. Uh, because in the end, it doesn't really matter at all. In fact, I'm probably reading way too much into this encounter and thinking about it too much. But anyway, here is what happened. So we stood there in the coffee shop talking about what we wanted, my wife and me, and there was nobody in the queue behind us, okay? No one behind us. The place was pretty quiet. So after sort of talking about the coffee we wanted, I stepped forward to take my to, to make my order. And there were there were two girls behind the counter and they were standing back a little bit away from the counter having their own private conversation. So I I noticed that the girls are talking about us. I noticed that they they're actually talking about us and not very nicely. They're sort of talking under their breaths and glancing at us. And I wonder what we've done wrong and I try to ignore it. Um you know they're sort of standing there sort of going <laughs> looking at us a little bit flashing these glances and I think what have, what's going on what what have I done wrong? Is it because I'm English? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, so, and I thought, right, well, anyway, it's time to get the coffee. So I wait a little bit for the girl to come over and I feel like I'm annoying her, like I'm sort of interrupting her conversation. And I start talking to the girl at the cash register and this is how it went. So she said, can I help you? And I said, hi, can I have uh, one black coffee of the day? And she went, so you mean one regular dark coffee? She said, putting the order into the till. To be honest, there's probably a button on her till that said dark coffee, but no button that says black coffee, you know? Anyway, and I said, okay, sure. Uh, And and an espresso with, and she said, and a single espresso. I said, yes, please, but just with a little bit of hot water added to it, please. And she went, (sighs) okay, she sighed again. She sighed and gave her friend a look. And at that point, I thought, what the... what the hell's going on here? Uh, and then she said, okay, it's going to be 5.25. I said, okay, here you are. I gave her the cash. She said, so your your coffee will be delivered over there. And I said, all right, thanks. I didn't say all right. All right, thanks. I just went, thanks. Uh, she didn't respond because she'd already turned away from me. So the transaction was finished. All right. So let me just go through that again. Hi, can I help you? Hi, can I have one black coffee of the day? You mean one regular dark coffee? Um, uh, okay, sure, and uh, and an espresso with and a single espresso. Uh, yes, please, but with just with a little bit of hot water added. That's going to be five twenty-five. Okay, here you are. Your coffee will be del- will be delivered over there. Thanks. Nothing. She's already turned away from me. The transaction's finished. So the other girl then who made the coffee, then she shouted, single espresso with hot water, even though there were no other customers around, and she heard the entire transaction, and I'm just standing right there. She shouts, I'm standing right there, and she shouted into the room, even though she knew it was for me, single espresso with hot water. Like, I'm just here, <laughs> right in front of you. Um, um, so I go to pick up the coffee from her. I get the coffee, and I say, thanks, but she's not even looking at me. She's turned away and she's doing something else. And I feel totally unwelcome. And I don't know why. Did I just destroy the environment again without realising it? Did I do something unethical? 
Did I choose the wrong... Did I just order coffee in a plastic cup? I don't know what's going on. What did I do wrong? And this really did my head in for some for some time. Uh, um, what happened? Did I did I order the coffee slightly wrong? Is it because of my accent? Why did, why is it necessary to serve me my coffee in a miserable way just because you feel that you're above this job? Maybe I'm way too sensitive. Maybe that's it. And after all, it's just a couple of coffees. But this did put a downer on me for about an hour until I got over it. My wife got over it instantly. She was like, oh God, they're so rude. Anyway, you know, da-da-da-da, back into the day. But I had a little dark cloud over my head for about an hour as a result of this. And as we walked around, I speculated about why they seemed so rude. And it reminded me of a routine by the comedian that I like called uh, Louis C.K., who who talks exactly about this this topic. It's exactly the same. And I've been thinking I might play it to you right now because you might find it amusing because it sort of deals with exactly the same thing. There are some swear words in this routine, but I think I'll edit those out because I'd like to keep this episode clean. So I think I'm going to play that for you now, in fact. Um, yeah, so I'm going to play you just a little bit of Louis C.K. talking about this exact same thing. Bad customer service from... Uh, Young people, he seems to, he describes them as twenty-year-olds, twenty-year-olds who who are uh, who've done nothing in their lives and yet seem to think the world owes them everything. Uh, so this is Louis C.K. talking about twenty-year-olds who work in coffee shops and who don't do their jobs properly. But anyway, I'm glad I'm here because of you, and and I want to do a good show for you. That's my job. That's the simplest thing in the world to me, is that you should do your job. And you should do it well, and not because of how well you get paid but because that's your job. I never understand people when I go to a place to get a thing and they do their job shitty out of spite for how shitty their job is. It makes no sense to me. Why, why would you do, why wouldn't you want it? You, why, why do you have to make my coffee sarcastically? Hear your majesty, enjoy your coffee. You know, why? Why wouldn't you want it to go? You know why? Because you're 20, you piece of shit. That's why. Because you're a 20-year-old piece of shit. I'm sorry, but I am prejudiced against everyone who's 20 years old that works at a place. Because they just think that if you just stand there and hate it, somebody will go, oh, well, then let's make you a director. That's how that works. Just if you clearly you are better than this. 20-year-olds are the worst people because that is a person who has been taking and just sucking up and absorbing fucking education and love and products and, and just giving nothing back. They're just, they're ripe like a big, fat, ripe orange on a tree. And the, and the tree's like, get the fuck out of Jesus, this is crazy. Whoa, fuck you, I don't want to go. If you're 20, I guarantee you, you never did anything for anybody. Yes, you went to Guatemala on a school trip and they told you you helped, but you didn't help at all. You were a way bigger pain in the ass than you were any help to those. Okay, so there you go, Louis C.K. talking about 20-year-olds who work in coffee shops. Um, So in the end, basically, uh, in my opinion, I think there's... I don't really think there's an excuse for being so rude. So it's just a pity. It didn't happen very much. 
but enough t- for for it to make a little impression on me. But generally speaking, in the states, the 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 service is very very good. Um, I'd like to just um, talk a little bit about talking to waiters and staff, and I just want to reiterate something that I said in an earlier episode about dealing with waiters and staff because this struck me as being quite important. And as I was a foreigner in an English-speaking country, it made me realise how important it is to kind of talk to the staff in the right way. Now, I'm not saying that the girls that served me in that coffee shop were right, and it was that I was the wrong. I was wrong because uh, I I didn't order my coffee in the right way. I'm not saying that. I think those girls were just rude, and that's that's the end of the story. But um, I do want to just talk a little bit again about um, how to talk to staff. Um, because, you know, I want you to just remember that staff are just doing their job and you can help make it a little easier for them by showing that you understand that. So help them do their job and don't make it extra hard for them. Smile, be friendly and be respectful. Don't have the attitude that this person is your own private slave for the evening. And they should have, uh, you know, don't expect them to have infinite patience and that they have no right to complain or be unhappy about your behaviour. This is unrealistic and rude. Um the waiter is a human being and they might be tempted to spit in your salad if you uh, don't make the right impression on them. Um, so, yes, again, those girls in the coffee shop were obviously wrong. I'm not talking about them. Anyway, so try and smile and be nice to staff when they serve you. When the waiter asks how you are, respond positively and ask how they are too. Don't forget to say please and thank you. Those are very important in English. Definitely show your appreciation if a waiter has done something special for you. And if in doubt, tell them it's your honeymoon, okay? Because this seems to be the magic phrase that helps to get decent service wherever you go. How do you ask for an upgrade in a hotel? Um, Well, uh, obviously, first of all, you need to tell them it's your honeymoon because this worked for us a few times. Um, So, um, you know, you could say things like, um, is there anything that you can do or anything that you can rep? Is, is there anything that you can do or recommend in order to make our stay here at the hotel even more special? It's just that it's our honeymoon and I want this to be a really special and memorable stay. If you say that, then often they will melt in front of you and they say, and you know, they say, oh my God, that's really special. Oh my God. Well, we're so happy that you chose to spend your honeymoon here at our hotel. And then often they will do something, even if it's just like they give you a free breakfast or they give you a bottle of wine or something like that. Sometimes it's just worth worth mentioning that it's your honeymoon, okay? Um, uh, If you're making certain requests, a a useful phrase is, is there any chance you could, for example, is there any chance you could... um, Okay, one example I had in in one of the hotels was that there was no toothpaste. We didn't have any toothpaste, and we didn't have any toothpaste in our bag. So I wanted to ask for some toothpaste. So I called the front desk and I said, hi, um, we don't have any toothpaste. Is there any chance you could uh, bring us um, some toothpaste and a couple of toothbrushes, please? And the waiter was very nice. The waiter, the staff member was very nice. And he arranged for the toothpaste and toothbrushes to be brought directly to our room, which was lovely. Um, Anyway, the, the phrase, is there any chance you could? Is there any chance you could blah, blah, blah? Okay. Um, Um, So we got a few hotel upgrades and also some free fruit and wine. And in one place, they wrote a very special message on our mirror. They used sort of like uh, lipstick or something. And they wrote a big message all over the mirror, which was really sweet. And another place gave us a card. 
One guy gave us some free bottles of water because it was the only thing he could offer us. Everyone seemed genuinely happy that it was our honeymoon and it broke the ice quite nicely. Um, All right, I'll talk a little bit more about customer service in a minute. So we left uh, San Francisco after having a really great time there. Um, Despite those little bits of uh, customer service that I mentioned before and the earthquake, I'm not sure which was worse, bad service or an earthquake. I think it's probably the earthquake. Yes, I, I, would, I think so. Um, so um, we drove to Monterey. Um, and um, so Monterey is a beautiful coastal town. Uh, but really, there's not much more than the aquarium there. It's a fairly small place. Uh, there's a touristy area near the old cannery, which it, it used to be an important um, sort of uh, port for fishermen. And lots of uh, fish would be brought into Monterey every day and it would be uh, processed and put into tins or cans. So there's an area in town which is called the cannery which is where they would put all the fish into cans and that now is a kind of tourist area and there's a big aquarium that's really the best thing about Monterey in my opinion is the aquarium so I decided to visit the aquarium but my wife is not really into that kind of thing so she went on a walk and she took some photographs and she went to the beach um And so I spent a couple of hours wandering around the aquarium, which was really nice. And I saw lots and lots of wildlife from the waterfront because the the aquarium um, is basically built on the seafront. So they have, it's like the, the sea actually comes into the aquarium. It's really cool. So as well as having like big pools of water, uh, with glass windows so you can watch all the fish and different uh, sea life inside. You also have this big area with a big viewing platform where you can look out into the bay uh, and um, observe the sea life that comes through. And so I saw some really interesting stuff. They have like binoculars there. You can pick up these binoculars and they have um, uh, members of staff from the aquarium giving you advice and helping you to understand what you're looking at. So I stood there for a quite long time uh, looking through the binoculars and I saw loads of things. I saw a couple of whales um, and it's really amazing when you see a whale because you you tend to just scan the water or scan the horizon with the binoculars and then every now and then you might catch a spray of water going up into the air and the big spray of water that's where the the whale is sort of uh, blowing water out of its blowhole in order to then take another breath of air so you see this big spray of water in the distance and then usually a big sort of um, black hump as the back of the whale uh, rises above the water and if you're lucky you'll see the tail going up into the air and then going down and sometimes you see them feeding you see the, the the actual mouth of the whale coming up from from underneath and you see the the mouth uh, coming up and it's, it takes a big gulp of water or fish or or krill or whatever it is that they eat. So I saw a couple of whales. I saw some sea otters. Otters are really cute little uh, furry uh, mammals that live in the sea and they swim around and they like to hang around. They, they float on their back and they, they float on their back and they sort of play with objects. And I saw one eating a starfish. Um, and uh, so what else? I saw a sea elephant a sea elephant. It's like a seal, but even bigger. They're huge, in fact. So I saw a young sea elephant swim through the bay, very close to the viewing deck. And there were like uh, families and parents and people standing around behind me. And as and I saw the sea elephant from quite a distance away, and I watched it come in. But as it came all the way in, lots of people noticed it, and they were like freaking out. And there was a woman behind me going, oh my god, it's a whale! It's a whale! 
it wasn't a whale at all. It was just a sea elephant, much smaller than a whale, really. If a whale had come in that close, then I, 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 God knows what she would have said. But anyway, after a couple of hours uh, there at the waterfront looking at nature, it was really nice. Uh, we then I met up with my wife and we drove to Carmel. Carmel is a really beautiful town. It used to be an area where lots of artists uh, lived and it's sort of gentrified. And nowadays it's like a very expensive, very desirable place to live. Extremely pretty. It's just next to the Pebble Beach Golf Course, uh, which is one of the most picturesque golf courses in the world. And so, you know, you get the beautiful coastline and and, and it's just a really nice uh, landscape. So we spent, um, spent a day and an evening in Carmel. Uh, the beach is beautiful. It's this gorgeous white sand. Um, and uh, we, we had a beautiful sunset on the beach. Um with whales and dolphins in the water we could act, we we sat on the sand on the white sand and as the sun was going down we could actually see dolphins like there was a big pod of dolphins that came through the bay and we saw them breaking the water and and uh, we saw a couple of whales as well in the distance uh, so carmel beautiful place clint eastwood used to be the mayor of carmel and uh, apparently the first thing that he did as mayor the first decision he made was to offer free ice cream uh, to the children of Carmel, what a what a lovely uh, thing to do, but I mean Carmel's a small town, so um, I suppose it's more possible to give away free ice cream, and that was the 1970s. Couldn't do it uh, these days, I don't think. Um, anyway, um, so we spent another day in Carmel, uh, including a day on the beach, which was really nice, um, and uh, then we um, just uh, we drove down the coast. So the idea was to drive back down towards LA we had like a, another couple of days for the drive and we took in um, a, a lovely drive which is called 17 mile drive and this is around a sort of peninsula that goes uh, um, from Carmel to, to Monterey there's this peninsula inside that peninsula you, you have the Pebble Beach golf course and around the edge of it there is a famous drive it's 17 miles long and it takes in some of the most gorgeous uh, coastline uh, on the California coast. It's absolutely stunning. Um, and it's kind of rugged with rocks and sand and different trees that grow on rocks that stick out into the water. It's this beautiful, rugged, very attractive uh, coastline. Um, we saw more whales and dolphins and, and stuff like that. It's actually very touristy as well. So um, what you don't get from the photographs that people take from the 17-mile drive is that Behind the camera, there are just loads of tourists all taking the same photographs. But it's very nice. And by this time in the holiday, we'd had lots of sun and sand and sea air. And so we felt like we'd really absorbed the atmosphere of the place. So we were feeling very relaxed and cool. You know, when you've been on holiday for like a couple of weeks, it's near the end of the holiday and you're totally relaxed and in the zone, in the holiday zone. You know, you've got sand between your toes and you're suntanned and the, the sun has bleached your hair. And, you know, we just felt totally relaxed and in the in the, in the the right atmosphere for that part of the, the holiday. Uh, we drove then down Highway 1 or Highway 101, which is the coastal highway, and it goes through amazing places. And um, we, we, we drove um, in the late afternoon and through into the evening, all the way down from uh, Carmel through Big Sur and stopped in a place called San Luis Obispo. And this was just incredibly attractive 
an atmospheric drive, one of the most stunning and attractive drives that I've ever had in my life. And, and there were many romantic moments and photo opportunities on the way. So basically, the Big Sur is like a, a, a sort of an area of wilderness on the coast. And there's a forest on one side. And on the coastal side, these this incredibly gorgeous, um, rugged, rocky coastline uh, with little sandy beaches that are difficult to get to and uh, large hills and bridges going over um, little uh, um, sort of uh, bays in the in, in the beach and so on. Just very attractive. And so we took lots of photos with the sunset and it was very romantic. And eventually, after a few hours of driving in the dark, because uh, the sun went down during the drive, uh, we arrived in San Luis Obispo, which apparently is the happiest town in America. And it certainly was a very friendly place. I remember parking my car in the wrong place and a, and a friendly local said, uh, recommended that I shouldn't park my car there. She did it in a, just a really nice way. And everyone seemed to be relaxed and, and, and happy. It was a lovely place. Um, at this point in the episode, I would just like to remind you about the audiobooks that I've recommended to you in this series about California. So I'm just going to mention the titles again, just in case you wanted to check them out. And remember that you can get a free audiobook uh, if you sign up to a trial membership with Audible, which is the internet's top provider of downloadable audiobooks. And they have hundreds of thousands of audiobooks available. Uh, so just go to audibletrial.com forward slash teacher Luke. And you can try out Audible for 30 days, free of charge. You can download an audiobook free. And if you don't like the service, you can just cancel your membership, but keep the audiobook. All right. All the details are on my website. That's audibletrial.com forward slash teacher Luke. Or just click a button on my site that says Audible, and then you'll go to the right place. Okay. So let me just recap the titles that I've recommended so far. So the first one was The Big Sleep by Raymond Chandler, which is just the classic um, American Los Angeles detective story and it's the ultimate film noir style detective story The Big Sleep by Raymond Chandler then there was The Grapes of Wrath by John Steinbeck who lived in Monterey in fact and that's the story of a family who moved from Oklahoma to California to escape the um, the Dust Bowl um, that awful environmental uh, drought that happened in America in the 1930s. So it's the story of a family moving west to try and seek a better life in California. Uh, another book was Scar Tissue by Anthony Kaidis, and that was the story of the lead singer from the Red Hot Chili Peppers talking about his personal story uh, at, from um, his, his upbringing in California to uh, his career as a rock star and the lead singer of the Red Hot Chili Peppers and all of the complex things that went along with rock stardom, including all the the the, the loves and the uh, drug addictions and his recovery from drug addiction and so on. Very interesting and successful book. Uh, also, there were there was the Four Dummies series. That's um, the series of books called Four Dummies. For example, you could download English History for Dummies, which is something I'm listening to myself at the moment. Um, as well as that, there was On the Road by Jack Kerouac. That's the book that uh, sort of influenced um, not just the beat generation, but also the hippie generation that came after it. Uh, and also the One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest by Ken Kesey, another key uh, piece of literature for the beat generation, and also just a really great story. 
Um, okay, so you can check out all the names of those books um, on the page for this episode on teacherluke.co.uk. Let me carry on with uh, just wrapping up this story of my Californian road trip. Um, so um, on almost the last day, um, we woke up in San Luis Obispo and decided to drive back down to LA. And unfortunately, I made a slight miscalculation of distance and I made a mistake on the sat-nav and uh, we ended up missing uh, Malibu. So in order to make the car, in order to make the sat-nav or the, the GPS system drive along highway number one, you have to kind of trick it into taking that route because it's not the quickest route from A to B. The quickest route is to go inland uh, on a highway. And so in order to get onto highway one, you need to kind of trick the sat-nav into taking you along that longer route. And um, I kind of made a mistake and uh, we stopped for fuel in Santa Barbara. And then when I put the address of our uh, restaurant in Malibu into the sat-nav, it took us inland instead of along Highway 1. So we missed a lot of great coastline in Malibu, which was really annoying. And um, we got stuck in a huge traffic jam outside Los Angeles. So that kind of spoiled our last day, which was a pity. We we ended up spending three hours in a traffic jam getting back into Los Angeles. That was really annoying. Um, Again, that traffic in Los Angeles is a nightmare. Uh, The last evening that we had in LA, we went to this really cool, super trendy vegetarian restaurant um, in um, what I guess used to be an old warehouse, this huge space that they'd converted into a a restaurant, a live music venue, and a kind of little uh, used clothing, vintage clothing store, all in one space. Um, Amazing. And there was a live jazz band playing in the corner. So what an amazing place to spend our last evening. We had kind of had our food and just took in the atmosphere of this place and listened to the music. It was really good. The next day, we got up really early in order to um, get to our get to the airport and uh, give the car back. Um, but we actually had a problem with the rental car. So um, the the previous day when we'd you know gone through the the traffic jam and stuff, we had to give the car back by six p.m. So we had a big problem with Avis, and I'm going to tell you about it now. It was a bit of a drama at the end of the holiday. So um, I had to give the car back by 6 p.m. on the uh, evening of the uh, 21st of August, okay? Uh, And it was a race against time. So we had that big traffic jam. um, And we weren't sure if we were going to get the car back on time. And we didn't want to have to to, uh, spend uh, loads more money on renting the car for one more day. We just wanted to get rid of the car. Uh, and and save uh, on our costs, okay? Um, so it was a race against time because of the traffic jam, but I did manage to get the car. I did manage to park the car and get into the uh, rental office of Avis at about 5.55 p.m. Uh, we called them in advance saying that we might be late, but, we, but I managed to get into the office with the keys in my hand uh, with enough time. Um, and... Uh, but we had a problem because the woman in the uh, Avis office was not that friendly. And uh, and I said, so I'm, I'm here, I've, um, but uh, how do I get the car into the garage? Because there was a, a five-story car park above the office and it wasn't clear where the entrance was. So I was there, I had enough time, had the keys in my hands. And I said, I need to get the car in the garage. And she said, no, 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 you're not going to have enough time. Um, so um, I, at this point, was like, what? but I'm here I'm here it's not six o'clock here are the keys and she said no you're not going to have enough time 
And I got a bit angry and I said, what? But you told me, blah, blah, blah. And um, she tried to, basically, she tried to just find an easy way to solve the problem. She didn't want to deal with the problem, you see. And so she fobbed me off. If you fob someone off, it basically means you kind of give someone a quick solution just to get rid of them. So she didn't want to deal with the problem. She just wanted to get rid of me. So she told me something just to get rid of me. She said, yeah, don't worry. You can take uh, the car to the rental office uh, at the airport. And as long as you get it there by 12 o'clock tomorrow, you won't pay anything extra. And I said, oh, really? She said, yeah, yeah, don't worry. You can take it to the office tomorrow by 12. You're not going to pay anything extra. And I thought, wow, that's fantastic. All right, great. Thanks very much for your help. And she said, no problem. Have a nice day. So... We took the car to the hotel and parked it there uh, with a plan to drive it to the uh, hotel. uh, Sorry, drive it to the airport and drop it off. Um, But when uh, uh, when we did finally arrive at the airport and drop the car off... We were given a bill, and guess what? There was a big extra charge because uh, they were charging us for an, for another day. So the woman in the other office had lied to me. Um, so that was a big problem because I I had been led to believe that uh, I wouldn't have to pay anything extra. And so then we had like a big standoff with the people in the office at the airport, them saying, "Well, sorry, this is the bill, and uh, here's the reason why." And I kept having to explain over and over again until they understood. But the woman in the office in Los Angeles told me that there would be no extra charge. I was uh, made sure I was um, re- I was I was made absolutely sure that I wouldn't have to pay any extra charge. And now you're telling me that I have to pay an extra hundred and eighty dollars, and I don't think I should because I was promised that I wouldn't have to be uh, I wouldn't have to pay this. Uh, I explained it a lot more effectively than that. For some reason, I can't get my words out in this episode, but. In the office, I did manage to eventually make a complaint um, and uh, they refunded me the money. So after uh, waiting around in the airport for about an hour, trying to get through to the the guy behind the counter and we ended up speaking to the manager. The manager came out giving us this same statement. Well, I'm sorry, but yada, yada, yada. And after we kind of clarified everything, we did get the money removed from our from our bill. So now I'd just like to talk about how to make a complaint, okay? Um, so um, here's, here's some advice on how you should register a complaint um, when you're dealing with, for example, a problem with a rental car. So first of all, you should say that you'd like to register a complaint. You need to actually tell them that you're registering a complaint. Because, and, and if you do that, then you're likely to get... Uh, a better response because many companies have official channels and official ways of dealing with complaints that might include some rectification or some kind of refund. So you need to be clear from the beginning that you're making making a complaint or the staff might just try to fob you off. If you say that it's a complaint, then they are obliged to deal with it in the proper official complaint procedure. Okay, So you should also ask to speak to a manager because this shows that you mean business. So ask to speak to the person in charge. Ask for the names of the people involved. 
So whenever anyone tells you something uh, or promises something to you, get their name and write it down. Again, if you ask for their name, it shows that you mean business. And if you get the name written down, it means that you can go back and uh, contact that person again, and they will then have to justify and account for what they've done. You should also ask for evidence of anything important. For example, if they tell you that they've made a rectification of your bill, ask for it to be printed out. You need to to get a new copy of the rental agreement with a price adjustment added to it. Uh, If they write something by hand, ask them to initial the writing. Don't take anyone's word for it because now when you make a complaint, when you're asking for a refund, you are in a legal area. So you need to get paper evidence. It might also be useful to read up on your consumer rights beforehand because if you tell them, I know my rights, I've read up on my rights and I'm entitled to this, that and the other, um, then uh, they're much more likely to uh, just get straight to the point and um, and deal with you in a fair way instead of trying to just fob you off. Because I imagine that a lot of people, uh, when they have a complaint, they don't tell them, it, don't tell the staff it's a complaint, they just get all frustrated and the staff then don't feel like they want to help and so they'll just try and fob you off, okay? So don't let them do it. Explain the background story quickly and simply because they need to know what happened. Uh, for example, in this case, it would be, um, so I rented the car, we were due to, to return the car at six o'clock um, and I was in the office with my keys with the keys in my hand at 5.55 but the woman told me that there wouldn't be enough time to take it to the garage but she assured me that if I was to bring the car to this office here in the airport, that I would be able to return it here before 12 o'clock with no extra charge. And those are the words she used. She said, no extra charge. In fact, look, she wrote it down here. Um, And now you're telling me that there is an extra charge. So uh, I think that this is unfair. I've been, I was led to believe something that's not true. I wouldn't have done this if I uh, didn't think it would, I wouldn't have done this if, Um, I knew that there would be an extra charge. So I don't think that uh, I I should pay this because uh, I wasn't told this in advance. Um, So that's what's happened. So I'd like to register a complaint because I'm being made to pay something that I was told I wouldn't have to pay. And I don't think that's fair. So you need to explain the background story quickly and simply because they need to know what happened. Be firm and confident and businesslike. Don't get too personal or emotional. Don't bring your anger to the table, all right? Just be calm and show that you know what you want, okay? Uh, remember that these people are just doing their jobs. So if someone tells, if someone is, is, is nice to you or if someone makes an effort to help you, say thank you and show that you appreciate them, what they're doing. Also, if you kind of deal with them knowing that they're just a person just working for a company and that they're probably just following company guidelines, you can kind of say, look, I understand that uh, there may be some kind of um, process that Avis has here. Is there anything you can do to help, uh, you know, appeal to their better nature? And also, if all else fails, tell them it's your honeymoon as well. Um, Now, I mentioned at the beginning of this episode that I I would also talk about how to tell people to stop talking on a plane. Um, so this happened to us actually on the flight back that we were, um, sitting on the plane for like eight hours and behind us, there were, there was a couple, uh, two girls who were just talking all the whole flight. 
and talking really loud so that everyone around them could hear. And we noticed that other passengers were getting annoyed. They were The other passengers were looking at each other and making comments and like, oh God, I can't sleep because they're making so much noise. And they were right behind us. And they talked all the way through the movies that we watched. And then um, when the lights went down, you know, when they turn off all the lights on the plane and everyone's supposed to, to be sleeping, they continued. So they were still talking really loudly and it was very disturbing. And in the end, um, we decided to talk to them. So how do you tell people to stop talking? So remember that the people doing the talking are probably going to take it really badly or really personally. Okay, remember that, that if you go and say, oh God, can you please be quiet? Then they are going to think that you're a crazy, horrible madman. Okay, they're going to take it really badly or personally. So just just think, how would you react if you were just having a conversation and someone suddenly interrupted you and told you to be quiet? How would you react? You'd probably be a bit offended. So again, don't bring all your anger and frustration to the first comment that you make. In fact, the first comment you make needs to be utterly reasonable. Like you're the most reasonable person in the world. In fact, you're very nice. And give them no choice but to respect your wishes. Because if they don't like you, if they think that you're really rude, if they don't like you or find you unreasonable, then they won't want to comply. So instead, you need to say things like, look, I'm, I don't want to stop you talking, but, okay, now you might think, no, you've got to tell, you've got to express exactly how unreasonable they're being. Yeah, you don't want to make an enemy. No, you need to go in there in a reasonable way. I don't want to stop you talking, but, and then explain why you would like them to stop, okay? Just because that first impression is going to help. Okay, you need to kind of, um, you know, smooth things over a bit. Don't get emotional. Don't get aggressive or angry. But you can say it in a, f- in a firm way without being aggressive. Look, I'm really sorry to bother you. I don't want to stop you talking. But could you please try to have your conversation more quietly? It's just that nobody else is talking and we all need to rest. And I can hear every single word you're saying. So is there any chance you could just uh, keep it quiet or maybe go over there if you know there's an area there where you could have your conversation it's just that we're all trying to sleep um, I think it would be pretty hard not to say sorry in response to that and if you if you turn around angrily and just say shh then I'm sure that they would be less willing to comply just remember that they're not aware of all the anger and frustration that's been building up inside you as far as they're concerned they've just been sitting there having a conversation with each other and they, they're not even aware that they're making everyone else angry. So if you come in all angry from the beginning, you're just going to look like a crazy person. So and, and also, you'll have a couple of enemies sitting right behind you on the flight. So the main thing is come in, all, come in reasonable but firm, uh, just like I said. And a final tip, if that doesn't work, just tell them it's your honeymoon. Um, let's have a little bit more American and English vocabulary. Uh, American and English, American English and British English vocabulary. Uh, this is the third, I think. Is this the third or fourth part of the uh, little uh, series of games I've been doing with American English and British English? Um, so this selection of uh, vocabulary is a mixture of things like games, job titles and household items. And just like before, what I'll do is I'll define the word and let's see if you can guess the word. And let's find out if your vocabulary is British or American. Okay? Okay, so without any further ado, let's begin. So this one is uh, like a big wooden 
storage container that you have in your bedroom and uh, you use it to keep all of your clothes in like jackets and trousers you hang them up and you put them in this thing big thing two doors it's like very tall uh, you can climb inside it what do you call it well in the uk we call that a wardrobe and in the united states uh, they call it a closet i believe so wardrobe in the uk closet in the united states okay um, so next one um, let's say you've uh, been uh, cutting something in the kitchen with a knife and you accidentally cut your finger ow oh dear and it's bleeding a little bit and you need to put something on it to make sure that it, it doesn't bleed it doesn't get dirty all right it's going to help to 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 protect uh, the wound the cut so what do you put on it it's like a little thing usually they're sort of brown or sort of uh, flesh colored and they've got like a little absorb absorb absorbent pad with some uh, antiseptic on it and then a sticky bit and you stick it over your finger that's it what's it called well in the uk we call it a plaster a plaster a plaster, uh, which is different to the word plaster that is used to make a, a plaster cast. So that's also plaster. But anyway, this little individual sticky thing that you put on your finger, that is a plaster. And in the US, they call it a band-aid. That's right, a band-aid. So plaster in the UK, band-aid in the United States. Okay, um, let's say you're in the garden in the summer it's lovely. It's lovely. You're lying on the grass, reading a book or listening to Luke's English podcast, and a little insect um, lands uh, on the grass next to you, and you have a look at it, and it's very pretty, and it's small, and it's uh, it's got a red shell with black spots on it. Red shell with black spots on it. Cute little insect, and as it takes off, the uh, the, the the shell uh, its shell opens, and the wings come out, and it flies away in a clumsy kind of way. Sort of little insect you see in the summertime. Well, in the UK, we call it a ladybird. And in the United States, it's a ladybug. Okay, that's it. Little insect with a red shell and black spots on it. Ladybird in the UK and ladybug in the United States. Oh, look, a ladybird. Hey, look, a ladybug, for example. All right. Um, Now, here's another game, a a game that you might play uh, with your friends or when you were a kid. um, And imagine you just draw one, two, three, four lines. You draw four lines on a paper um, in a sort of um, it looks a bit like a hashtag uh, so four lines uh, uh, crossing each other um, and it creates nine spaces you know so four lines uh, uh, on top of each other in a cross formation and it creates nine squares okay and then what you do is you take turns to draw either a circle or a cross in uh, one of the spaces until you get a line of three uh, okay, so uh, what do we call it? Well, in the UK, we call that noughts and crosses. Very pragmatic, noughts and crosses, because you draw noughts and crosses onto the page, okay? And in America, they call it tic-tac-toe, tic-tac-toe. Uh, Leah from the United States, if you're listening to this, uh, just make sure that these are all correct. I mean, I, I know tic-tac-toe. I've heard that before in, in, in movies and on TV and in, even in songs and, th- and stuff. Noughts and crosses in the UK, tic-tac-toe in the United States. But uh, if you are a, an American listener, like Leah, for example, then uh, do confirm or deny any of these things if you believe that they're not, they're not really true. But as far as I'm aware, these, these are all genuine bits of American English. Um, another game, um, it's played on a chessboard. But instead of chess pieces, you have these circular pieces. They're all round. And, and one, one person uses black 
uh, discs and the other person uses white discs and you move them around on the board. The aim is to uh, capture as many of the other person's discs as possible. Uh, you get the idea? You can you, you move them forwards and in order to, to capture another disc you go diagonal and you jump over. In the UK we call it drafts drafts and in the United States it's called checkers. Yep. Okay. Uh, here's an easy one that you're all going to know. What do I live in? I don't live in a house. I live in a flat. That's it. And in America, an apartment. But in the UK, we say apartment as well quite a lot. Flat in the UK, apartment in the United States. Now, if you want to get a glass of water from the sink, uh, you need to turn something on. In the UK, of course, you might find that we have two of these in the bathroom, which... Um, uh, seems to uh, confuse lots of uh, foreign people. We have a hot one and a cold one. I'm talking about the tap, of course, the tap, the hot tap or the cold tap. Uh, in American English, what is it? They call it the faucet. The faucet. All right. A tap or a faucet. Um, faucet, maybe. And, uh, okay, let's say you live in, a, in a, a building with lots of floors. For example, you live on the 10th floor of your building. Uh, how do you get to the to the 10th floor. You don't want to walk up the stairs every time. Oh no, you want to get inside that box and it's got cables attached to it and it lifts you up. And in English, we call it a lift because it lifts you up. And in the United States, they call it an elevator. Okay. Um, okay. Next one, you're camping. Um, you're, you've, you've gone camping and it's dark and you need something to, to, you, to, to light everything up. Um, and you hold it in your hand and it's got batteries inside it and you click it on and then a light comes out the end and you can see things. Well, in the UK, we call it a torch, a torch. And in the United States, it's a flashlight. Yeah, okay. Uh, what's that sport that we play with our feet and a ball? You know the one where you use a, your foot to kick a ball? Well, in the UK, of course, we call it football, which makes sense. In the United States, they call it soccer, soccer, um, which used to be a British word as well. So... Uh, anyway, football in, in the United Kingdom, soccer in the United States. Um, some British people get a little bit sort of irritated by the word soccer. Um, but um, soccer actually has its origins in British English because soccer is the sort of nickname of association football. A so, so, soccer, you see, association football, uh, soccer is the nickname of association football, which is just the old-fashioned word for football. In fact, in the UK... Um, in the olden days, there were many different names for different types of football. So you had association football, rugby football, which we just call rugby now, and also gridiron football, which is really an American thing. It's an American adventure, in, adventure invention, adventure, invention. I don't know. Sometimes I get confused with my own language. Anyway, uh, gridiron football is an American invention, and that's what they just call football now. So um, association football is just football or soccer. Okay. Um, let's say you want to buy a house or you want to buy some land. So you need to see someone who uh, knows about all the available land in the area and they can help you find uh, a house and they give you prices for houses and they deal with the owner of the house and so on. So it's like a middleman when you buy a house. In the UK, we call it an estate agent. And in the United States, they call it a realtor. Realtor or a real estate agent. A realtor. Okay. Now, let's say you've been writing something in your textbook and you've been writing it uh, using a pencil and you want to remove, you've made a mistake in your textbook with your pencil and you want to remove it. So you want to rub it out. Well, in the UK, we use a rubber and the United States, they use an eraser. 
Uh, watch out because uh, a rubber can also mean something else because sometimes a rubber is a nickname for a condom. So in the United States, if you ask, if you're in a classroom and you put your hand up and you say, excuse me, have you got a rubber? Then they might go, what? What, what do you want a rubber for now? Get out of my classroom. Uh, instead, it should be, uh, excuse me, uh, do you have an eraser? An eraser in the United States and a rubber in the United Kingdom. Okay, let's say you are looking for a new job. And so you're going around companies and you're giving them a summary of all of your previous experience and qualifications. What do we call it in the UK? We call it a CV, which is short for curriculum vitae. Uh, and in the United States, they call it a resume. Okay, um, let's say you've got a problem in your kitchen. There's a leak, uh, something wrong with one of your taps or the pipe underneath your tap, underneath your sink, and there's a leak there. So you need to go under the sink and you need a special tool to help to loosen or tighten some of the pipes underneath your sink. What do you need? Well, in the UK, you would use a spanner. And in uh, the United States, they call it a wrench. That's it. W-R-E-N-C-H, a wrench. But it's a spanner in the UK. I think in a lot of other countries, they call it an English key. Uh, an English key. Well, we call it a spanner in the United Kingdom and wrench in the United States. Um, what about this uh, season in the year? So we have um, uh, winter, then spring, then summer. And then what comes next? Well, in the UK, it's autumn, of course, autumn with a m, uh, an M sound, autumn. And uh, in, in the United States, of course, they call it the fall or fall. Uh, because that's when the leaves fall from the trees. So fall, or in a, maybe in an American accent, fall. Um, um, in summer, you might get two weeks where you don't have to go to work and you can go to another country or go to the beach or something. And in the UK, we call it a holiday. And in the United States, of course, famously, they call it a vacation. That's right. And then um, finally, well, I've got, uh, okay, the last item in the list in the UK, this is where, let's say, you work in a, in a company or maybe you're a student at school and it's lunchtime and everyone goes downstairs to a big room, big open room, uh, where they serve food and that you kind of get a tray uh, and you, you go in and you order your food and someone gives it and you put it put all the different plates and things on the tray and drink and then you slide it round and then you pay at the end. In the UK, we call it a canteen. And in the United States, I believe they call it a cafeteria. But I have heard in the UK, we, we sometimes use the word cafeteria in the UK as well. But canteen or cafeteria. Okay, right. So I think that's pretty much it for this episode. And in, that's also it for this series about the uh, trip to California that I had. So in conclusion, we had an absolutely fantastic time traveling around California it has so many things to offer, including lots of things that we didn't get to see, because two weeks is not enough. And the time went by so fast that it was almost over before it had started. Um, it's a wonderful place for a honeymoon. And in fact, for all types of holiday, for single, single people, for honeymooners or families, I would definitely recommend it, although it is a bit expensive in some areas, particularly San Francisco and along the coast. But all in all, people were really friendly, 
The weather is fantastic and there are loads of impressive and entertaining things to see and do. Um, there is plenty of really amazing food, which is a contrast to the stereotype of the United States with its unhealthy food culture. Uh, but in, in California, we found the food to be really great and often very, very healthy, like those acai bowls that we ate in the mornings. Uh, the landscape is varied and beautiful and there's a lot of shopping to, to be done as well. Uh, we would love to go back one day and see lots of other things that we missed. Um, we shared a really special two weeks that we will remember forever. Um, I really hope that you have not only enjoyed this account of my trip, but you've also learned some things too. Uh, my intention has uh, been not just to share our traveling experience with you, but also just to invite you to think about the culture, history and geography of the place along the way, as well as to teach you some English. I'm going to upload some photos of our California trip on this page or maybe on each page in this series. So um, check them out. It might help to bring some of the descriptions uh, to life a little bit. And as ever, leave your comments on the pages for these episodes with your thoughts, feelings and questions. Please do join the conversation at teacherluke.co.uk. Uh, that's it for now for this episode. And that's it finally for this series, this long series about California. It feels like this series has been almost as long as the trip itself. Um, but I hope that you've enjoyed listening and, and now we can get back to normal podcasting as usual. Um, okay, so that's it. Leave your comments. That's it. I, I just, it seems like an anticlimax now, doesn't it? Now that the series has come to an end, but that's just always the feeling. Don't you find at the end of a holiday, always that there's always that sort of sad feeling of like, oh, is that really it? Is it really over? Is it really finished? Do we really have to go back to work now? Well, yes, we do. So that's it for this episode of the podcast. Thank you very much for listening and I'll speak to you again soon. Take it easy, everyone. Uh, bye for now. Here we go. Bye, 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 bye. Thanks again for listening to Luke's English podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar, and pronunciation teaching from me, and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription, you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.